0: This is Joe McHugh, and this is the Liberty Strikes Back podcast, broadcasting from the back of my car in Chicago. And today we're going to talk about my decision to run for President of the United States. And let me just tell you, if you've never had the opportunity, or if you're ever given the opportunity to run for President of the United States with zero name recognition zero money um, and uh, and you decide that you're going to run as an independent don't do it <laughs> it's a, it's a horrible idea uh it's not something that um uh, that I wanted to do or really that I took lightly But I kept hearing, "We don't win unless you do," and uh, various commercials and just in generally over the airwaves. And uh, so after I completed my book in 2019, and I was waiting for the publisher to get back with some edits and, you know, get it taken care of. I decided I was going to turn my focus on qualifying for the ballot as an independent in both Colorado and Utah. Now, I had previously run as a Democrat for state house in Michigan both in 2002 and in 2014. But in 2016, the Democratic Party rigged the primary against Bernie for Hillary. Now, I understand that Bernie was only in the primary race to create some excitement and to give Hillary some, someone to campaign against, but she lost it legitimately, wasn't even close, and yet the Democratic Party rigged it for her anyway. And so when I saw that, I thought to myself, well, this is the establishment playing inside baseball. There's no way that they would ever elect me. And so, when given the, I guess, the, you know, when considering whether to run as an independent or as a Democrat, I didn't trust the Democratic Party. And uh, I definitely wasn't running as a Republican because, as far as I was concerned, the Republican Party was uh, the neoconservative party of Bush. Which was responsible for hijacking America by flying planes into the Twin Towers. So I definitely was not running as a Republican. And I considered running as a Democrat. But um, the field was loaded, full of candidates. They raised a ton of money, they had organizations all over the country. And there were barriers to entry in each of the primaries, most of which were money-related as opposed to signature-related. So believe it or not, for an unfunded upstart candidate to run as a Democrat or a Republican, it's actually more difficult. Uh, Whereas if you run as an independent, there's generally no filing fee. There are generally more signatures required than a partisan candidate but you can be assured of getting onto the ballot and you skip the primary process. So you're there at the general election. And if we don't win, unless you do was true, then more than anything I needed to be there for the general election. So anyway, that was the thought process. And I did, I did make certain efforts along the way to make myself available Um, For example, I was declared Democrat during the D.C. primary, and I ran ran a write-in candidacy. And uh, other, for write-ins, actually uh, performed 5% uh, were reported as other, uh, effectively write-ins, and they did not report who that candidate was. That was double what Tulsi Gabbard got at that point. Um, but still well behind the leading candidates. So that and I was also being encouraged on the radio uh, to, um, to believe that I can do whatever I wanted and to go independent. So independent it was, even though you know it was going to be challenging and i got on the ballot in colorado and utah uh, actually before before the thanksgiving break of 2019 and um took care of well all the signatures and then i took care of final final stuff before christmas and and uh, that i was officially on the on the ballots there and and then there are a number of 20-some-odd other states that I qualified as right and eligible. It just... Uh I knew that running as an independent, you know, that you have a very limited lane. Uh, The only way to win as an independent is to get enough electoral votes to hang the election and to hope that the race was even enough between Biden and Trump that winning even one state would be enough to hang the election. And so that was the goal. It was called the single single state strategy. And I was hoping that I, you know, if if it were true, that quote, we don't win unless you do. And if if my theories were correct, that millions of people were stuck behind unconstitutional non-disclosure agreements, and they desired their liberty and justice, they wanted their rights back and their freedom of speech, which had been deprived of them, uh, then then they would find a way to make the votes work in uh, in our favor. And so. Um, and so I thought, well, then they would, maybe they'll vote in Utah or Colorado or any one of the right-hand states. <sighs> it's one o'clock in the morning. So I'm yawning. But, um, just in case, I mean, cause I knew that that was a long shot. So my first order of business after in the new year in 2020 Considering that the the democratic race was so out of hand was to was to get the libertarian nomination i I needed to gain a foothold I needed to gain some sort of media recognition because I completed the book and it was at that point evident that the book was not going to be it was going to be delayed The publisher effectively ended up succeeding delaying the book until after the campaign cycle with endless editing. Uh, cycles and on top of that all of my campaign software was was hacked and obstructed the entire campaign itself was hacked and obstructed and apparently it started off as a joke and people seemed to have been duped into into believing that it was a joke and then then they realized after the fact that it was real because you know they I was really running and really trying to win and really wrote a book and really had a platform and really did a number of things and was really obstructed the entire time. And, um, and then they launched COVID and then it just became a whole just a whole mess. But I saw the Libertarian nomination because they had, they had ballot access in 50 states. And, and if I just, if I got the Libertarian nomination, then I would, I would at least get acknowledgement in the press that, that I existed as a candidate. Whereas as an independent, I did not because people like Kanye West and a, a few other lesser known candidates joined the race as an independent, which effectively drowned out my candidacy in entirety since I was completely unknown. So it was a good strategy. Uh, I'm part of the people who you know, drafted Kanye and the others into the race. It was an effective strategy and they accomplished the objective, which was to Make sure that there wasn't enough airspace to to cover a candidate who uh, didn't even have a book published at that point. Because again, it was written, it was ready, but the publisher had succeeded in delaying it. And therefore, I, I really didn't have any reason for the news media to cover me, with the exception of qualifying for states, which Kanye West did as well. So, anyway, I sought the Libertarian nomination and the yeah, you know, I, I went to conventions all over the country uh, for that, uh, a handful of conventions. I went to the Michigan Convention. They canceled it. Uh, I went to the, Philadelphia, the Pennsylvania Convention. I had a chance to speak there. Um, I connected there with all the East Coast delegations at the PA Convention. And I, I met some people who were favorable, who, you know, uh, indicated that they were interested in my nomination and, and my candidacy. And I was led to believe that uh, I might have a good shot at, at winning. And so I really went after it, and I ran a mini-campaign for the Libertarian nomination. Um, I did, a bit, did blast uh, voicemail phone calls uh, the day before the vote, and um, I, I sent multiple emails to every convention or to every delegate in the country, uh, basically, just ran a, an email campaign, and um, yeah, made sure that everybody had a chance to talk to me. and And it seemed like there were people who already knew me again because of this unconstitutional NDA and uh, what, what appears to be a surveillance type of mechanism that um, supposedly is in place to monitor people who are suspected of of um, of some sort of a crime. But uh, since I was innocent, but yet not released from that program, uh, people were still monitoring everything I was saying and doing, including the recording of this podcast, because nothing's changed since then. Anyway, um, what ended up happening is that I ended up winning votes for the nomination. And and I have a screenshot to prove it. Uh, In the first round, I had as many votes as the eventual nominee, which was one. And then later on, when the final tally was released, of which I also have a screenshot, my votes were erased. And in between that point, I had received a message on Facebook from a fellow libertarian who was congratulating me on the campaign that I was about to run. And hearing that and then seeing the nomination taken away from me um, was devastating. And then I had a conversation with someone who indicated that it wasn't what they wanted, meaning that they had knowledge of the situation and had somehow had some ability to affect the situation. And apparently this person was led to believe that that Joe Biden, who was running as a, quote, transition candidate, those were his words, uh, apparently this person was led to believe that Vice President Can, uh, Biden, who aspired to be president, was somehow was going to magically give up his nomination or his presidency uh, to somebody who couldn't even get News coverage. Um, I was understandably, I think, livid at this person when I learned of the situation, especially and when I raised my voice and said, "Do you know what you've done?" And the response was, "That's not. That's not what I want." You know, the indication was I wanted, I didn't want the Libertarian Party. Um, to me, this was either deliberate sabotage or a exceedingly gross miscalculation. In the Marine Corps, one of the first things we're taught that when you um, when you when you're going and and you're planning a, a mil- planning a mission, uh, you want to gain a foothold, and that's that's your first objective is to gain a foothold, uh, whether it's a beachhead or it's whatever it is, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. If you want to start a new business, if you are running for office, if you are whatever it is, you gain a foothold by, you know, if you're climbing a a rock wall, you're looking for just the slightest little anything to establish some footing, to get some sort of support. And, uh, and, to be able to organize and collect your resources and use that as leverage to grow. And so the first objective in running for office uh, in terms of gaining a foothold is to get a a base of volunteers and to, to secure their support, whether it's through a nomination or in the form of web, you know, press, or whatever the case may be. And so the idea of getting the Democratic nomination was a pipe dream without first getting a breakout into the press. And the only, you know, the way to get that was to earn the Libertarian nomination. And the Libertarian Party was proven to have been open to previously unknown candidates, as we saw with the eventual nominee. And so this was, you know, this was dubbed the two-step strategy. And if you were paying attention to, to uh, social media at that time, then you may have noticed certain, certain hashtags were trending. And that two-state strategy was, or the two-step, you know, was actually was one of those things. And so that, um, that two-step went away. When the libertarian nomination disappeared uh, and um, and and that was it right so that was that's why I responded the way I did. Do you know what you've done? You just ended the campaign uh, but it wasn't just about the campaign, it was about the years of unconstitutional obstruction, interference, and entrapment and the decades and centuries really of oppression, uh, the decades of oppression under the USA Patriot Act and the centuries of oppression uh, for, uh, for minorities in general, people of color uh, and even women. And all that was swept under the rug with, with uh, this one decision and it was it was devastating, it was absolutely crushing, um, especially especially it just it just was absolutely devastating. Um, you put your heart and soul into something, and you you expect people to be in your corner and when they turn out not to be in your corner, uh, it really it takes it takes a lot out of you. and so uh, so after that. You know the 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 pipe the the you know, the Hail Mary that was left was trying to get some sort of a showing in the Democratic Party. But I had already run the numbers and did the analysis ahead of time. I ran as an independent because it was not possible to run as a Democrat. I didn't have the money and I didn't have the name recognition. Didn't have the organization. It was not possible for me to succeed as a Democrat. And I didn't trust him on top of that because of the Bernie situation. And if you run as a partisan, Democrat or Republican, and let's say you get to the finals or whatever, you know that the votes are rigged, which means that you have to kowtow to the donors. And if you don't go along with what the donors say, then you won't get the nomination. So it was really just kind of, it was a trap to begin with which means, and the only way around it was to run as an independent or a libertarian. And if you, at that point, were to be recruited as a Democrat to accept their nomination because they didn't have a suitable nominee, and that was what was being discussed at the time, then that would have been fine, uh, because that discussions would have been able to have been had before that would have been agreed upon. But uh, none of that became possible after the decision to kill the Libertarian nomination came down, and so uh, nevertheless, I put one foot in front of the other, and I tried to make the best out of the situation. I went to New Jersey and a number of other states, uh, mostly on the East Coast this time around. Uh, even though COVID happened right when I was in New Jersey trying to collect signatures, that 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 really did coronavirus. If it were, if the Libertarian nomination weren't bad enough, the coronavirus absolutely killed the campaign. At that point, people were no, no longer able to go door knocking. They basically, all campaign activities stopped. Uh, any activity that you did had to have been conducted online. And um, I, I didn't have the infrastructure for that because my computer was hacked and all my software was hacked. So that didn't work out either. So everything was completely done at that point. Um, at that point, I... Uh, it was probably around June. Through the balance of the summer, I went to Tennessee. They had a signature requirement of 275 signatures. I collected 350, 375, turned them in. I was expected about a 70% approval rate, because that's what I got when I turned them in to Utah. And I ended up with a 30% approval rate. And I know for a fact that 70% of the signatures I turned in were not bad. They were they were valid signatures, and um but uh, this was Tennessee's Secretary of State playing ball because I didn't meet with their senator and uh so anyway, this is um well at least that's what it seemed like. I never received a formal invitation from any any elected official in Tennessee. I only received indications from various people that I would meet that I needed to contact so-and-so. And, um, and I never did because Tennessee had uh, Republican elected officials. And again, as far as I was concerned, the Republicans were behind 9-11. And I did not intend to um, deviate from the truth. Uh, But unfortunately, the Democrats ended up uh, behind coronavirus. And then the Republicans, of course, joined in the effort on that. And so then, you know, we had two parties that were equally incentivized at that point to cover things up. And so at that point, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And so I really had... um, I had nothing left going door to door collecting signatures, taking everything out of me as it was, especially with all the obstruction and but it was really being stabbed in the back by 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 someone close to me who you know affected that libertarian nomination that that really did me in and slowed everything down um, so that's uh that's, that's how things went down. And, and so the, the, the primary and uh, the nomination season, you know, the Democratic nomination came through in, in August. And uh, VP Biden accepted the nomination as a supposed transition candidate. And he transitioned right into the president, um, you know, right up until election day. There were transparent to the general public, but from our side, uh, it, there appeared to be, from my side rather, there appeared to be instances of uh, seemingly possible, seeming possibilities for. Uh, for, for the press to acknowledge my nomination. Again, because the theory was that there were a, a large segment of the Democratic base uh, were supportive of my candidacy, and they were instrumental in getting me off of the island of Puerto Rico uh, to go to Buffalo to launch a business and to eventually run for office. And that was the original vision. Uh, but that didn't work out because the, the contract that I was working under in Buffalo was a flawed contract and promised to dilute me out of 100% of my equity stake over the next 15 years if I didn't comply, which was entrapment, and I couldn't justify working under that contract. And then I went back and attempted to submit and renegotiate, and then they ultimately rejected that, and then I ran and wrote the book, and the book was delayed, and the rest is history. Or rather, it's not history, because it's been erased. And that is the real history. To the victor goes the spoils, and the word history is such because it's his story. The victor's story. And uh, it's disappointing. It's uh, it's It was effectively two years of my life, 19, 2019 and 2020, that turned into three years because I put everything I had into it. I didn't have any money left. I put absolutely everything I had into it. It is now October of 2021. And the book finally got published in its obstructed form, uh, in August of 2021 when the contract ran out and I'm still in the process of going through and fixing the edits. Um, there are certain things that I'm just not able to fix. There are paragraphs that are just completely moved around and just out of place. Um, they basically just, they reordered the book. Added, added also new phrases, new words, took out images, took out graphs and charts. Um, they did a lot of damage to the book in the process. And so I'm trying to go through and redo that. And uh, even that is a painful process because it's it's almost like an exercise in futility. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't have the money to republish it. Uh, I and uh, and I've been sleeping in my car ever since I left the island of Puerto Rico, with breaks at family friends' places or at my parents' places, uh, or place rather. You know, in 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 cases where they went south, I would watch the dog for them. But other than that, and I'd say at least fifty percent of the time since I, since I left the island in the beginning of January, 2019, uh, I've been sleeping in my car, which I know is, uh, kind of like the rage at this point. Like it's supposedly it's popular fan culture, but, uh, now when you're 43 and you desire to have a family, um, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not desirable. It's, it's It's effectively just you know straight up homelessness um, so I've applied for a variety of jobs and uh, everything from construction type of work, painting, et cetera to stuff that I'm qualified, given my m b a from a top entrepreneurship school uh senior you know leadership management roles various financial institutions and logistics organizations. And uh, so far, nothing's worked out. I'm still working on that. Uh, I've probably submitted 20, 20, 30 applications, and I still have to do more, some of which have been in person. Others have been online or over the phone. So submitting more, but it's concerning because... This started off uh all the way back in 2012 with an economic isolation campaign uh, immediately following the Marine Corps, but again, because they thought that I had information that I wasn't supposed to have, classified information that I wasn't supposed to have, which of course is not true. It never was true. And but they, they didn't you know, they thought that I had something I wasn't supposed to have. And so, one of the things that they did, they started off with what was what's called an economic isolation campaign, which is going to get a heck of a lot easier, by the way, once Bitcoin is adopted. But um, what they do is is they uh, the government has a means for tagging people, and you're effectively canceled. They just basically say you're not allowed to get a job, and you know, there's no trial, there's no warrant, there's none of that. Uh, this is all handled under FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. If they think that you might be a terrorist, or if they think that you might be a spy, uh, then they they then the jurisdiction falls under FISA. And after nine eleven with the Patriot Act, FISA now has jurisdiction on domestic soil, which means that anyone with an extreme thought, which is how the FBI categorized terrorism after nine eleven, which, of course, they've revised that now three times at least. Uh, they didn't start changing that, or at least I didn't notice that they were changing that until after I started writing my book. But um, you won't be able to tell either way, right? To you, this is all speculation of some crazy homeless Marine who happens to have an MBA and ran for President of the United States. I, I agree with you, by the way. It sounds crazy, and I do not blame you for feeling that way if that's how you feel. But um, this stuff did happen. Anyway, uh, the reason why I, I am hopeful but not optimistic about getting a job is because it all started originally with companies flat out just not calling me back. Um, even as a logistics officer applying for logistics companies, logistics jobs. Um, So I'm hopeful that that's changed. Um, But again, you know, hope is not a course of action, as they say in the military, as we say in the military. Hopeful, but not not optimistic. So we'll see. Uh, So I'm applying for jobs and I'm hoping something works out. I have a patent pending that is going to expire in March if I am not able to raise $4,000 to pay for it by then. I would not be surprised if I'm denied employment until after that point because the patent effectively protects a financial financial instrument that, um, that can be used to replace and upgrade markets. Uh, or products or services within a given market. So, for example, if you wanted to completely replace the use of oil and gas, heating and cooling, or otherwise, in a target a- a target area, you could use this this uh, it's called the mission market uh, to accomplish that by capitalizing or by quantifying the cost of replacement, creating a certain number of shares to do it floating the shares in the open market, investing the capital that's raised into that market in the form of loans and investments for that product or service, and then reinvesting back into it until the mission is eventually accomplished. And uh, and that mechanism increases the share value um, through reinvestment of you know, of increasing capital and retained earnings within the fund, and it's reflected in the share value. And so that is... That is something that is patentable. That's where the, the patent is pending on it. Um, but it is a direct threat to oil and gas. And so um, I believe that that, in large part, the oil and gas industry is in bed with the banks and the intelligence community. And I believe that was part of the, the reason why my book was obstructed and the campaign was obstructed. Unfortunately, the reality is that there is so much in America that just simply isn't real uh it's just one cover up after another that the true history of the country has been lost and i think the evidence of that is in our star spangled banner where it says the rockets red glare and bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there now the star spangled banner was written in 18 written for the war of 1812 that was 50 years before the Civil War and uh, 100 years before the First World War, where we actually used uh, some rockets and that sort of thing. Or maybe that, that might have been the Second World War. Um, so, you know, if you go back and look at your Civil War era movies, which again, 50 years earlier, was the War of 1812, everything in the Civil War is muskets and cannons. And so the question that we need to be asking ourselves as Americans is, why does the star-spangled banner not say the muskets and cannons gave proof through the night that the flag was still there? If we were using muskets and cannons, then rockets and air-bursting bombs, in theory, would not yet have been invented. But of course, if you look at Google, Google's going to come up with an explanation for everything, because that's what you get when you have a system, information system, that is controlled by the central government. Uh, President Trump, uh, 1987, Ronald Reagan repealed the Fairness Act, requiring the news media to report both sides and to cover topics of interest that are important to the public, the public's interest. And then in 2016, President Trump, or is it 2017, President Trump... uh, appointed FCC chair who repealed net neutrality. Then he appointed a couple of Supreme Court justices who upheld the repeal. And by upholding the repeal of net neutrality, we lifted or we effectively institutionalized corporate censorship by allowing, banning, prioritizing, uh, and slowing data. And so that means that they can, they can do just that. Corporations, which control the Internet uh, th- through and through, from the backbone architecture on Cisco to the, the Tier 1 uh, provide backbone uh, cell companies like AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, et cetera, uh, it's all going through corporate pipes before it gets to you, which means that they can they have time to screen, things, change content, which I've seen done, uh, as well as slow things down to the point where you just get frustrated and just simply don't want to wait for that page to load or block it entirely, uh, which I know happened to me in terms of phone calls and text messages. Uh, it's tough to say on the incoming side, but on the outgoing side, I can say with certainty because I made a, call, a couple of calls from my phone that That did not go through, that met were met with a busy signal where I made the same call from another phone not owned by me, and it went through. So again, I can say with absolute certainty that these things do happen, and they're very difficult to pick up on, and they are very effectively hidden from the general public, which means which makes it very difficult for us to definitively identify that this is happening. And then adjust course. And because of that, the unaccountable intelligence community in and in the banking community have total control uh, over what we see and hear online, offline. So, these are things that I learned on the campaign trail these are things that I learned in the years following my time in service as a Marine. Uh, and I learned these things because the government decided to assign so many people to me to investigate my whereabouts and what, I, and what I was up to. And it was in conversations with the people that the government assigned to me that I was able to piece together everything uh, that I am sharing with you now tonight and as part of this podcast in general so that's all i have for you tonight and it was something that uh kind of i'm just kind of here and and rather than uh, lose the thoughts to no story because i'm not going to write them down tonight I figured I'd just record them and share them. And so maybe this is what this podcast will become. Uh, just me sharing thoughts and experiences because I've got a pretty significant uphill battle ahead of me, it seems. Um, people are seemingly afraid to associate with me. I notice that I get a lot of fake names. And when I spoke to a couple of women tonight, one of them, they both asked me if I wanted kids. And I said that I did. And they were afraid. And it seems that, uh, that that may be uh, dangerous or unlikely. And, it, and I can understand why, considering that who I've pissed off. I don't know the names of the people who I've pissed off, but I know that the people I've pissed off are powerful Um, I I wrote about 9-11, I wrote about coronavirus, and I wrote about Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has 184 billion, 21 million Bitcoin, which means that the 21 million float that everyone thinks is the real cap is only 0.01% of the total amount. So at the time that I wrote that, it was a nine quadrillion dollar fraud, and that was in 2017 when it was valued at 20,000 it's now at 60. So this is almost as close to a 30 quadrillion dollar fraud and quadrillion is 1000 trillion. So close to 30,000 trillion dollars in value is what the true value of bitcoin is at this current value of 60,000 per coin but of course if we were to calculate the true float of 184 billion bitcoin then the actual value, according to, de- to today's market cap, would not be 60000 but $6. And that is why people would be pissed, because it's true, I documented the evidence, I wrote the article, and I published it. And then I did it again with coronavirus. And so there are a lot of people out there who are not pleased with uh, with me because I happened to write The Inconvenient Truth. Uh, To pull a phrase from one of my former, uh, more preferred, one of my my favorite candidates in my adulthood was Al Gore. And uh, I thought that he was smart, capable, would have been an excellent president, but unfortunately lost in the popularity contest and also, well, he won the population, the popular vote in 2000. But his brother was able to cancel a number of votes in Florida and then give the state to, Jeb Bush gave the state to George Bush and George Bush became President Bush and President Bush, of course, allowed the Patriot Act to happen, which set in motion the events that we have lived through for the past 20 years. And because I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, I tell the truth. And unfortunately, we gambled and we lost. And I am now sleeping in my car for the third straight year with people trying to encourage me to run for governor and do it all over again. And while it may seem like a good idea, it wasn't a good idea the first time. It's definitely not a good idea this time either. Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. The only difference in the situation between then and now is that more people are perhaps, have perhaps now seen the light that the Democratic Party is just as corrupt as the Republican. Because the Democratic Party has abandoned their choice platform and decided that it only applies to the women's health as opposed to choice across the board which would be liberty and justice but the Democratic Party instead got rid of choice for coronavirus vaccine and is now attempting to force it which is scary because if a government can force us we the people to inject something into our body then they can force us to take a microchip or they can force us to wear a uniform. They can force us to do anything they want. And I think that's ultimately what the agenda is anyway. And it's quite frankly scary to see how many people are willing to go along with this. I think they think that it's a joke, that we can get out of it. But... I know of no government that has ever given back the power that they've acquired over time. Governments have a tendency to grow in power and strength. And when we give government a new power, they tend to abuse that power. Only recently in the state of Michigan, after the governor Violated our rights by shutting down the economy. Did the people organize, create a petition, submit it to the legislature and get get the approval of the legislature to repeal the Emergency Powers Act in the state of Michigan? Which is excellent and should happen all across the country and at the federal level as well. Because the Emergency Powers Acts are used to take away people's rights. Effective leaders, I believe, should be able to motivate individuals to act on a voluntary basis. In support of a, of a greater cause where the case deems is deemed necessary. And I think that's about sums it up. Liberty is clean air. Liberty is fresh water. Liberty is healthy, organic food. Liberty is money that is owned by the people and retains value over time. Liberty is a constitution that applies evenly to all people at all times by default and without exception. Liberty means that we have the right to free thought, speech, and action, the right to assemble and organize with people as we see fit, and for whatever purpose we may see fit, provided that it does not violate the equal rights of others. Liberty is the right to self to choose our our man the means in which we want to defend ourselves. It's the right to self-defense and the choice, the right to choose how we choose to exercise that right to self-defense. And in the context of a supposed pandemic or otherwise, it may be the right to use medicine, wear a mask, get a vaccine, or none of the above and get, for example, good rest, lots of water, healthy food, lots of exercise in a low-stress environment, both of which would be effective, both approaches. Liberty is the right to maintain privacy. That's your Third Amendment right. It's not recognized as such. The government does not have a right to privacy, and yet they classify everything. It's exactly backwards as it's supposed to be. Liberty is the right to be secure in our person, our property, our effects and our communications. That's our Fourth Amendment. Which means that no organization, government or otherwise, has the right to dictate what we do with our bodies. With the sole exception of of the one point in which there are multiple living beings in a body at the same time, which is point at which a woman is pregnant, at which point, given the potentiality for two citizens, two people of equal rights, then the, I think the prudent course of action there would be to come up with a, an equitable split, meaning perhaps the first three months for the woman and the last three months for the child and the middle three months for the state to make necessary adjustments in between, depending on which state you're in. Liberty is the right to informed consent and due process. That's what due process, one of the meanings of due process is is informed consent. It's knowing what you are consenting to. It's understanding these privacy policies and understanding what these companies are doing with our data, how they're profiting off of it how they're depriving us of the value that we ought to be gaining from our own data. It's also the right to, to know what we're, if we're being charged for something, to require that the government provides us with a warrant if they're going to do it. It's, liberty is the right to a speedy public trial, which does not exist under FISA. Liberty is the peace of knowing that our rights are going to be respected and that the federal government cedes, not seizes, but cedes all further power to the individual or to the state. Liberty is a limited federal government, an open and transparent federal government. The government that is engaged in a co-equal relationship with the individuals, with we the people, and with the states. Liberty is a balance. We do not have liberty today. This is the message that I attempted to provide and share on the campaign trail. And maybe... Because I have so little left that I can do. Maybe that's what I need to continue to do. But what I would like to do is to get liberty and justice so that I can have a family and live in peace. And that is all. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. This is Joe McHugh with the Liberty Strikes Back podcast. And uh, tonight, uh, this is going to be a short broadcast. I've decided that we're going to go a little bit more informal and turn this into a vlog, a voice log, as opposed to a video log. I am, um, it's uh, 2 a.m. Eastern. It's about 1 a.m uh central. I am in western Illinois, uh west side of Chicago where I spent the past couple of days. Uh Chicago's a good town and uh, I had a chance to uh, see my cousin, spend some time at the Navy Pier, meet some good people. Um and uh and see some identify some opportunities, but I'm now headed uh west to Colorado uh because I uh, I made a couple of email connections with some people that are involved with the VC firm out there and um, that's targeting a democratic type of approach to VC to make it available to uh, everyone, including non-accredited investors, which means non-millionaire investors, uh, which is the way it should be. Uh, Everybody should have access to venture capital in early-stage companies. And um, the more people that do, the better we will... Uh, have a more equitable distribution of wealth, uh, not only in this country, but around the world. And so that is part of the pitch that I'm going to make. I told them I was going to be there on Thursday. And so they haven't gotten back to me. We don't have a scheduled time, but I plan to show up at the office, let them know that I sent them an email saying that I was going to be here on Thursday, drove in from Michigan uh, with a pit stop in Chicago, and I can. I'm happy to sit here and wait until you guys have a time, have a moment to speak. And as a matter of fact, this strategy does work. I know that for some of the listeners out there, I'm 43. So for some of the listeners out there that are in their 20s and 30s or even younger, um, that that strategy is kind of a lost art. It's something that you may not have heard of before. But uh, when I when the mortgage industry was at the at its height back in 2000 five, six, and seven, and eight, uh, that's, you know, I initially applied for a commission-only sales role at uh, at uh, a one company in particular after I did the research, and I identified that I wanted to sell mortgages because that's where the bubble was. I wanted specifically to sell subprime because that's where the money was. And I also could help those people. I could help the the borrowers save money, more money than I could with prime Lend, prime borrowers. And uh, out of that, there were top five. Uh, it was a it was a classic uh, top down approach uh, to about to to identifying my my target. I identified two companies that were both in the D.C. area. Uh, I visited one in Maryland and the other one in Virginia. The one in Maryland was two frat house type of. Uh, I just got a bad vibe from it. Uh nothing against uh, frat houses. It just wasn't for me. I've always been a GDI uh and an independent. You can figure out what the G D might stand for. But um anyway, uh I ended up uh, applying to the uh to the mortgage shop uh, called Calusa in um in Virginia and initially the recruiter, the HR person, got back to me and said uh, we're going to pass on your application. And when I got that email, I laughed because uh, at that point I was what, 25, 26, somewhere around there. I was an award-winning salesperson. I was a self-motivated entrepreneur. I was a former political candidate and a business owner. So nobody was going to tell me that I couldn't sell. And so when they said, no, thank you, I laughed printed out a resume that was on Friday, went in on the next Monday and said that I'm here for an interview. And they said, well, do you have one scheduled? And I said, no, but I'm happy to sit and wait until somebody can see me. And that's when I went in and met one of the brothers who ran the show there. And, uh, and he was impressed enough with my story that he said, okay, you can start, uh, you can start next week, next Monday. So great. And, um, commission only job, uh, but the commissions were good for when she's gotten going and I literally slept at that office, uh, for a few days, almost cl- close to a week. I was there, I was there, tw- you know, 18 hours a day until I got, until I got that first sale. And then after that, it was until I got, uh, you know, it was probably 12 to 15 until I put in place a system that I could systemat that, you know, that I could automate and systematize. Uh, and that was an email uh, hopper system that I wrote up. So I would send the same email to every single person. And then I also would have numerous touch points. So, cause I knew that the average sale took seven communications. And so I set up five emails that would go out. Plus I would make five phone calls. So that would be 10 touches, 10 contacts with the, with the target, uh, with the, with the household. And, um, and and as and it was very, very effective. I finished in uh, top 10% in the company, uh, and, and I was one of the top-performing salespeople. Uh, and I ended up making really good money back in the early 2000s, uh, six figures, you know, 10 grand a month. And what started off at uh, working, you know, 50, 60 hours or whatever, I got down to 30 hours. Uh, some days twenty five to thirty hours and i I made the same amount of money working fewer hours because I was able to systematize my process so anyway, I share that story because some people may think, including myself at times right but uh, that like just driving out nineteen hours from detroit to uh, from from Detroit to Colorado with a pit stop in Chicago might sound crazy when you don 't have an appointment but The fact of the matter is that uh, where the people that you are meeting with work for organizations that are small enough that uh, that they don't have everything's not guarded at the gate or whatever the case may be, you can still make this type of a sale, uh, and and you can still win a personal relationship. And ultimately, when you are an entrepreneur and when you are trying to raise money. The people are investing in you as an entrepreneur. They're not investing as much in your, uh, in your concepts. They, they have to like the concept, absolutely. But you can have a bang-up concept and, and a shit entrepreneur, and it's not going to go anywhere. So they're investing in the entrepreneur over anything else. And if they're going to make an investment, they need to meet you. They need to know who you are in person. they need to get a feel for you. They need to just have that that gut feeling about yes, this is going to work with this person or no it's not and uh, And so I am driving out there to meet to meet this team uh, without an appointment to show them to show my level of dedication and commitment as a founder and to give them the opportunity to get that feel good feeling. When they actually meet me and see me in person uh, and and that by the way is you know, in person contact is always going to be your best bet uh in sales, and every contact is a sale, whether you're trying to meet someone who you want to date or if you are uh if you are you know looking for a new job opportunity uh or if you're looking for to make new friends, whatever the case may be i I believe in the old school approach of getting offline and in real life, IRL, uh, I guess is what it's called now, funny enough. And, uh, and just saying hello to people and, and seeing where things may go. And so, um, so that's what we're doing. So I am, I'm taking a pit stop in, uh, in DeKalb, Illinois, uh, west of Chicago. And we are, uh, we, I I I like to use the the word we because anyone who's coming along for the for the ride is 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 with me right. I'm hoping to bring you into my my life my story here, and, and to join in uh, in the uh, you know in the events. I mean, it, quite frankly, it's been a real adventure uh, so far in a, in a lot of ways. Lots of good, lots of not so good. Uh, But everything that's been not so good has been a really good learning opportunity. Anyway, so Planet Fitness has been fantastic as I have been traveling the country for, geez, at this point, almost three years uh, since I effectively left the island in Puerto Rico in 2018, moved to Buffalo in 2019 to launch Earth Loans, but didn't get the right contract. And therefore, I didn't stick it out with uh, the organization out there. I ended up pivoting, writing a book, running for president of the United States, didn't didn't work out. uh, And so now I am raising money for Earth Loans, going back to what I believe in, which is loans and investments, products and services for a healthy planet. And specifically what I'm going to introduce, the concept that I'm going to introduce to this team is how they can make their business better by working with me, how they can make more money by working with me. And, and by investing in the patents and in the company and the team that I intend to recruit that is going to uh, build a a blockchain based tech business that is targeted to uh, impact investors and people who care about a a, healthy, a healthier and wealthier planet and um, and so that's that's the pitch uh, and that's why we are uh, in at 1 a.m. Uh, in in western Illinois at a Planet Fitness, uh, where I'm going to be sleeping in my car for the evening, like I have uh, intermittently whenever I was not staying in a friend's or for or or dog watching, for example, for my parents when they're out of town. I've been sleeping in my car as I've basically been tracing down leads and trying to make things work for the business because I truly believe in it, and the patents are pending. Now for another six months, and um, I don't want to let it go. I, I really want to give this everything I've got, and and that's why you just gotta do what you gotta do. So I'm sleeping in the car. I'm showering at Planet Fitness. I'm shaving here. I'm getting a workout here, and and uh, and I'm 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 following the leads, and and they're they're taking me to Colorado right now. I would like to get back to, I'd like to establish my, my objective for the meeting is to establish uh, a, an in-person connection, a relationship so that they feel comfortable with me, uh, so that they can invest in me, and uh, to be able to take that back to Michigan potentially. I'm not, uh, I'm not 100% settled on it, but I, I am a Detroiter by, by um, you know, where I was born, and Michigan State is my alma mater, go green, go white. And there is a blockchain uh team at Michigan State, and also my second alma mater is Babson College, so I'm going to reach out to them as well from a blockchain standpoint um, but uh I think that uh I think that there's opportunity both in Colorado as well as in Detroit and building a bridge is is going to be helpful and you know what my lions are having a tough time right now, so I think Detroit could use a little boost and If there's anything that that I can do to help that out and help out my Lions, then then that's it. Then that's what we're going to do. Go green, go white, go Lions. And for a cleaner, greener Michigan and America. And to restore liberty and justice for all in America and around the world. This is Joe McHugh signing off from Planet Fitness in DeKalb, Illinois. Have a good night.